If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Colossians chapter 3? We're going to be reading um, verses 20 and 21. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Hope everyone is doing well today. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. And I have to admit, this is a topic that I, I feel very under-equipped to address. I am a parent. Uh, some days I still feel like I am also a child. And so uh, trying to wade through this topic this week has been humbling. As I, as I look out on the room, I realize there are uh, folks in this room who are probably far better equipped than me to stand up and, and give advice on such things. Uh, there are also lots of people that aren't yet parents. And you may think, what does this have to do with me right now? And so I'm just praying the Lord would guide us in this and, and use this for all of our good. Uh, if, you're, if you're not yet a parent or maybe you're past the stage of life where these instructions are most applicable to you, I, I pray you'd take this as an opportunity to learn a particular way that you can obey the author of Hebrews when he says, spur one another on to good deeds. Uh, those of us who are parents and who are in the thick of this season right here, we need others around us whispering in our ear, this is good. This is what God has called us to. This is what this looks like. This is what the path of wisdom uh, should be. So I'm gonna, I want to actually open this in a word of prayer before we get started. I'm going to ask God to bless our, our time this morning. So join with me as we pray. Lord, thank you for children. Thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for the way you have given us a vision for the home that honors you and that is ultimately for our good. Uh, We pray that you would guide us, God, to know how to love one another uh, as parents and as children and as a church family around parents and children. Uh, help Help us to know how to love one another. And I pray that you'll help me to serve our church well this morning. I pray that your word would would go forth, that it would bear fruit in our lives, and that we would would have the kind of homes in in this church that have an impact on the world around us, not only on those who are raised in them, but on those who come into them as guests, on those who hear about them and, and benefit from them. And we pray it would be to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you guys have ever seen the show Super Nanny? Remember that show? Uh, it was on, I think it went off the air, I don't know, maybe eight, seven or eight years ago. It was on 10, 12 years ago. Sean and I used to enjoy watching it. The premise is basically the first couple minutes of each episode, you meet a family and you meet their kids and they're all nuts. It's kind of chaos in the home. Uh, parents are exhausted, overwhelmed. The children are kind of running amok and doing their own thing. And everything is wild. And then they call uh, the super nanny. Uh, she comes in. She, she arrives in a, a little Volkswagen Beetle with a, a British flag on it. Uh, she has a British accent. She's kind of like a cross between Mary Poppins and Terminator. And she just sort of <laughs> comes into the home, tells the parents a few things, tells the kids a few things. And by the end, there's like a six-month time lapse. And she comes back to visit the family. And you learn that everything she said is working. And all is well. The kids are obedient. The parents are happy. And another home has been saved by the super nanny. And we found this really entertaining uh, until something happened in our lives that changed it drastically. 
the experience for us as viewers, we had kids. And we found that there was something wrong with the kids we had. They didn't uh, obey and do the things that we thought they would do after we told them to do things. And uh, we thought maybe it's our lack of a British accent or maybe it's uh, just something inherently wrong with them. We weren't sure what was going on. But suddenly that show that used to be entertaining, it just hit a little too close to home. Uh, it just wasn't fun for us anymore. And I was thinking about that this week as I look at those two verses that Kevin read for us, because I, I remember kind of looking back at Super Nanny as a parent and kind of working through that season in particular of our first child and, and him being young and us kind of first wading into having to do discipline and figuring out how to instruct him and things like that. And it just felt like that show was so simplistic. It's just... Here's reality. Most uh, or all <laughs> parenting is not, it's not going to be resolved in 22 minutes, right? It's, it's not going to be done at the end of the episode. It's, it's not going to always lead in the direction you hope it will go. And, and so as I look at this, this text before me, I, I don't want us to be overly simplistic about it. I don't want us to think of it as if, if we just do these couple of things and we all kind of leave here nodding our heads and we go and we put this into practice, then it's all going to be smooth sailing from here. Uh, these are biblical principles, and they should guide us in pursuing a Christ-centered home, but they're daily, daily, daily disciplines, both for the parent and for the child. And so uh, we don't want to be simplistic, and we don't want to uh, have the wrong idea as to what we're aiming at. Ultimately, there is only one perfect parent. Uh, we sing about him. He is a good, good father. And the rest of us are trying to image him. We're trying to point our children to him. We pray our kids would come to love him and trust in him. But along the way, as they get older and they get wiser, they're going to find their own parents, their earthly parents, are going to fail them over and over. And, and we need his grace and his mercy and his power to spur us on. And as I said, we need each other. So I hope this will be helpful for all parent and non-parent alike. But let's, let's jump into the text here in Colossians 3, verse 18. I'm sorry, that was last week, verse 20 and verse 21. Uh, remember, we're in a section here in Colossians that is what we call a household code. So it's kind of a, a way of organizing some instructions in these fundamental relationships in society. And just like last week, where we talked about husbands and wives, the, the key point that we can't miss in what Paul's doing here in verse 20 and 21 is to note that it's not that the husband and father is Lord of the home, it's that Jesus is Lord of the home. And that, that's very different than what other Greco-Roman household codes, codes in the day would have called for. The other thing I think we see here, just as an introductory comment that I think might be helpful before we look at the specifics, is to notice that there's a call here for a kind of balance. When we read verse 20 and 21, it's pretty obvious to note verse 20 addresses the children, verse 21 addresses the parents. Before we look specifically at what is said, we should note that a biblical home, a Christ-centered home, is going to aim at addressing both parents and children. We can't just turn and face all our attention on one party and ignore the other. In fact, when we do, we cease to have a Christ-centered home altogether. You might think of it like this. In some homes, and some of you grew up in homes like this, in some homes, 
it's as if there's an overemphasis on verse 20. Now, maybe your parents were thinking that, maybe there weren't, but it's, it's as if there's an overemphasis on verse 20 to the neglect of verse 21. So what I mean by that is the focus of the home is on the parent. The parent is the center of the home. The children are viewed as a nuisance or an interruption to the parent's pursuits, be that his or her career or his or her hobbies or just his or her daily enjoyment of life. The kids are an interruption to that. It's, if, if there is a center point and there are spokes on the wheel, the parents are in the center and everything else, including the kids, have to revolve around those parents and their wants, needs, and desires. Now, some of you grew up in homes like that. You kind of learned implicitly, my place here is to stay out of the way, right? Some of you may even as parents kind of lean in that direction and think what you're doing is obeying something like Colossians 3.20. It says, children, obey your parents in everything. So I got to make sure they obey me in everything. That means whatever I want, I have to get. They have to do exactly as I say in all things. If we're not careful, we can veer into this focus on the parents that is to the neglect of the children where we have a parent-centered home. Now, if we're being honest about history, most homes in the history of the world, certainly the Western world, have looked a lot more like that than the opposite error. That is prior to probably the last, I don't know, 75 years here in our own country. In the Western world today, if we're going to veer off course, we don't tend to veer off course as much in, in terms of being parent-centered as being child-centered, right? And that would be as if we were overemphasizing verse 21 to the neglect of verse 20, right? We don't want to provoke our kids. We don't want to discourage them. We don't want to crush their spirit. We don't want to over-discipline them. So we're just going to give them a little bit of guidance. We're just going to kind of set them forward a little bit, and then we're going to let them find their own way. And we're going to let them decide what they want to do and the family schedule, the family priorities, the family's daily life is going to be lived out as if the child is at the center and everything else, parents included, are the spokes on the wheel. And we're, we're centered or the home is centered around the child or the children. In our day, that's probably the, the, the way that we're most likely to veer off course. Now, here's the reality as we get into these verses. What the Bible calls us to is neither a parent-centered home nor a Christ, I'm sorry, nor a child-centered home. We're going to get to that last one, right? We're not aiming at being parent-centered or child-centered. We're, of course, being aimed at being Christ-centered. That's what these verses are about. So, as it were, both sides are necessary. Uh, N.T. Wright put it this way. He said, Children need discipline, that's verse 20, and so do parents, that's verse 21. So we need both of these in order to be a Christ-centered home. So let's look at them in a little bit of detail here as we try to figure out what this looks like in our own day. So children, obey your parents in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in everything, I should say, for this pleases the Lord, verse 20. So given the context here, uh, this seems to have non-adult children in mind, We're talking about kids as we would describe them today. Uh, this is consistent with what we see throughout Scripture. Think about Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Jesus quoted that passage no less than five times 
in his own teaching. So this whole issue of obedience to parents is not just some kind of auxiliary category in the Christian life. This is, this is central to obedience to God. And as you combine what you see in the Old Testament with what Paul says here, I think you, you get this interplay between honor and obedience. And we, we've got a lot of kids in here today. I would invite you children, especially those of you guys in the back, to poke up right here and, and pay attention because I want to address you guys in particular for the next couple minutes. Uh, what, what the scripture calls you to as children is to both honor your parents and obey them. And you may, you may think of that as two different things, one being inner and one being outer. So honoring your parents has to do with what you're feeling and what you're thinking. Uh, obeying your parents has to do with what you're doing. That's the action that flows out of the attitude. And get this, kids. We understand when you have one and lack the other. We mean in your parents, right? So you can do the outward action. You can obey what we say. You can do what your parents tell you to do. But if you do it like this, <sighs> you're not honoring your parents. And that's not pleasing to God. You need to hear that. That's what God calls you to. That's what the scriptures tell you to do. But if in your heart and in your head, you know that mom and dad are your leaders, you know that they're a good gift from God, that you've been entrusted to them, and, and your, your heart is set on honoring them, but whenever they tell you to do something, you just kind of ignore it, then you're not obeying, right? And so you need to be aiming at both as children, and parents, we need to insist on both. We need to call our children to both honor their parents and to obey them. Now, in the text, it says obey them in everything, uh, it's, it was interesting to me to think about the difference between last week and this week. Last week, we looked at wives, submit to your husbands. And whenever you come into that passage in Scripture, we, we all have to do all this work. Okay, here's what he really means. Here's what submit means. Here's what he doesn't mean. We have to think through all this stuff. When we get to verse 20, we're all literalist. <laughs> it's like everything. <laughs> That's what it says. Children, everything. <laughs> but here's the reality. I, I don't think he actually means everything. He says... Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, what's going to please the Lord? Only that which is consistent with what the Lord has said, right? So even in that statement, it's worded a little differently, but I think the same idea is behind the text there. Even in that statement, there's a limitation on the parent's authority over the child. This becomes especially important as you get a little bit older as a child, maybe as a teenager, even a, a young adult that's kind of in the, an in-between phase in terms of your relationship with your parent. You're not quite fully adult. You're, you're kind of continuing to be under their authority in some way. But you're trying to sort out what obedience looks like, trying to sort out how to honor them. But you're also dealing with the reality that as a believer, if you're a believer, your first allegiance is to Jesus. And so if mom and dad are telling you to go this way, and Jesus has clearly told you to go this way, and what I mean by that is clearly in his word, he has said to go this way. The scriptures teach this, and mom and dad are trying to teach you to do something different. As a Christian, your command is to follow Christ. All right, so you are to obey your parents in everything in such a way that it would please the Lord, and obeying them in a way that a sin would clearly not please the Lord. All right, so again, there's a limitation on what... Uh, parents can and should tell their children 
to do. But the idea here is that our Heavenly Father would take joy. It says it pleases the Lord. He would take joy in seeing children revere and obey the loving authority He has given them. So so kids, the the big thing I would encourage you to think about as, as you hear this passage and maybe even talk about it with your parents today and this week is be reminded that passages like this tell us that your parents are a good gift from God. To the the kids in this room in particular, I can say this with a clean conscience because I know all of your parents well. Your parents are a good gift from God. You need to be thankful for them. And and you need to think about how to honor them and and how to be wise with the, the good gift God has given you. So children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Now, this is not in this passage, but in Ephesians 6, Paul gives a little bit uh, further incentive here. He talks about how this is the first commandment with a promise. He's referring back to Exodus 20, where it says, Honor your father and mother, and it will go well with you in the land. Obviously, in Exodus, it's talking about the land of Canaan and the land of the promise. As Paul's applying that in Ephesians, and, and we can, I think, fairly read it into the text here because they're parallel in nature. What he's getting at is this this reality that as you, as a child, as children obey their parents, they put themselves in a place of blessing. Uh, We use this language around our house. Uh, We got it from uh, Ted Tripp's book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. Uh, I recommend that if you guys have not uh, read it. He talks about the circle of safety or the circle of security, uh, the circle of blessing. And the idea is that the child... So long as he is under his parents' authority, so long as he is obeying his parents wisely, and so long as his parents are guiding him along a biblical path, if he will but listen to his parents, he will find himself in a good place. It will go well with you. There's a, there's a circle around you that in, in which you find safety and security and blessing. When you begin to venture outside of that circle, though, there's danger. Right? You're not just disobeying mom and dad. You're not just choosing to do something you want to do instead of what they've told you to do. You're actually stepping outside of a place of blessing that God has given to you. He's given you good parents to guide you and keep you in a good place so that it will go well with you. When you step outside of that, you enter into danger. You lack that security. And part of your parents' responsibility before God is actually to discipline you and guide you back toward that place of blessing. I think that principle, by the way, uh, applies to us all as we have a heavenly father who has given us in the scriptures a picture of what the good life looks like, the blessed life. I'm not talking about a works-based salvation. I'm just talking about the blessing of knowing God and being known by God, living with a clean conscience, when, when we obey the Father, our Heavenly Father, we tend to find ourselves in the blessed life. That doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that we never have problems. But good things tend to happen. It tends to go well with you in this world. But when you venture off His paths, when you go outside of His circle of blessing and security, you put yourself in danger. You're trying to do things your own way. You've stepped outside of the, the good categories he has given to you. And again, just like the Heavenly Father disciplines us, the parent's role 
is to call their children back into that. So let's talk about parents a little bit. Verse 21 actually addresses just fathers. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children. Now, this could be referring to parents in general. I think there are passages in the New Testament where fathers is used and is probably referring to both. Uh, Hebrews 11 is an example. I think in this context, it's probably actually just focusing on fathers. And that's not to uh, undercut the significance of the ministry of the mother in the home. We'll, We'll talk about that in just a minute. But I think it's to underline the man's responsibility to lead both his wife and his children in doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Going back to verse 17 there. Perhaps Paul's even focusing on fathers here because of the particular temptation men might face to provoke their children. That's there at the latter part of the verse. Fathers, do not provoke your children. That idea of provoking, uh, it means to make resentful or to make bitter. Uh, So we should not exasperate our children. We should not cause them to lose heart. We don't want them to become discouraged under the weight of our expectations. And I think part of what Paul is doing here is he's acknowledging that men... Fathers, if I can address you personally for a moment, we have a unique role in the lives of our children in which they are in all likelihood going to view the heavenly father through the lens of their earthly father, for better or for worse. And so we have to give particular attention to this, that we do not exasperate them, that we do not intimidate them, that we, we do not let our threats or our anger, or extreme physicality be the means by which we get them in line and and in shape for us. We are ultimately answering to our Father, right? And so there are limitations on our leadership and authority. I've found a lot of comfort in James 1.20 over the years. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I think that is getting at the same thing here in Colossians 3.21. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Now, if you think about the last part of that, uh, there's a reminder that the command is to your, is for your children in particular. And so uh, similar to last week where we talked about how husbands have to know their wives and wives have to know their husbands and you have to really seek to understand each other. As, as parents in general and as fathers in particular, you have to do hard work to understand your kids. And this has become more and more apparent to me as we've had more and more kids. And I just realized uh, that each one has to be parented a little differently. I mean, they're each unique. We have three kids and they each are, are they're just, they're different people and they require a different strategy. Now we're, we're trying to be consistent We're trying to hold out the same standards to all three of our kids. But the reality is what would provoke one of them and maybe discourage them or dispirit them in some devastating way might not even get the attention of one of the others. (laughs) And so there's a constant interplay of figuring out how do I call for obedience? How do I discipline rightly and yet not provoke each of my children, recognizing that the exact same action may be received differently, the exact same words, the exact same tone may be received differently with each child. 
As I said, parenting is hard. <laughs> um, but I want to note here, in this cultural context here, in, in the in first century Greco-Roman world, we're in a culture there that, that generally undervalued children, that generally looked past children. And yet here we have Paul given a direct command to men to make sure that they bear in mind the tender consciences and sensitive emotions of their own kids. I find that just really compelling, that this, the Scripture calls us to that. And again, I think it goes back to that central point, that Jesus is the Lord of the home, not the Father, not the earthly Father. So as parents, we have to aim at faithfulness to these responsibilities and we have to ultimately trust God with the results. Now, uh, I, I want to do this a little bit last week, but I, we ran out of time. So I want to now just kind of step outside of this passage just a little bit to give a little bit bigger picture. Because here's the thing. If, if we think of parenting as merely children obey your parents and everything and fathers don't provoke your children, we're, we're looking at a very limited slice of daily life and daily interactions between parents and children. And in fact, we're looking at a, at a small picture of what the Bible calls parents to. So I, w- I want to zoom out a little bit and, and talk just in general in the last few minutes here about the biblical duties of parents. I'm going to give you just five very quickly. Uh, I, I find these helpful to just return to over and over some passages that I would encourage you to memorize and, and have on your, in your head and in your heart as you're, as you're seeking to live this out each day. So five things that parents are called to do, biblical duties of parents. Number one is discipline. We talked about that a little bit already, but I think it deserves some additional attention. Discipline, Proverbs 22:15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. So discipline is aimed at the foolishness in the child's heart. Proverbs 29:15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom. Now, there are lots of things we could say about discipline. I just want to point out in general, uh, biblical discipline involves two in- instruments. We see it there in Proverbs 29. The rod and reproof. You've got to figure out what this is going to look like in your home. There are issues of conscience. I'm not going to get into the weeds on all of these things. But, but I would say that the Bible does call parents toward both a physical form of discipline and a verbal form of discipline. The rod and reproof. Those should always be age appropriate. Those should always be carried out in a moment of the right spirit and the right attitude. Not, not trying to punish the child. Not trying to get even. Not trying to just exert your authority or exhaust out your emotions, but as a, as a means of drawing your child back into that circle of blessing, letting them know you, are, you have veered off of God's path. Now to say something like that, you better make sure they've actually veered off of God's path and not just done something that got on your nerves, right? You are outside of a, of a world that God can bless, right? That means you are in sin. There's folly in your heart. It is playing out in your life. And part of my call before God as your father is to call you back into that and drive you back into that. And God gives you, gives me, gives us as parents two instruments for that. One is, is a form of physical discipline. The other is verbal discipline where we are communicating, we're correcting, we're reproving all the while, we'll call, we're calling them back in. And we're not doing that 
again, uh, to punish. We're doing that to correct. And it's going to be hard. Discipline is hard. It's hard on both the parent and the child. God knew that, and yet he commands us to that. You think about Hebrews 12, verse 7 says, What son is there whom his father does not discipline? And then in verse 11, this is talking about the fatherly discipline of our Lord, but it's kind of against the backdrop of parental discipline. He says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. All the kids in the room can understand that, right? Discipline seems painful in the moment. All the parents in the room understand that. All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant in the moment. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So we don't discipline our kids to get back at them. We don't discipline them because we're angry. We discipline them because we love them and we want them to have this peaceful fruit of righteousness in their future, not the consequences that are at the end of that path of folly that they're on. So we're going to call them back to that. And to neglect that would be to leave them in that place of curse, that place of danger and insecurity. So one responsibility is discipline. The second is instruction. Right, so you've got passages like Deuteronomy 6 that talk about how we should teach our children the law of the Lord. Uh, 2 Timothy 3 is a beautiful picture of this where Paul says, from your childhood, and this is largely uh, from his mother and grandmother, Timothy, from your childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Oh, what a blessing to grow up in a home where you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. They're capable of leading you towards salvation and faith in Christ. So it raises a question for all of us as parents, what are we teaching our children? And I have a lot of time to go into this, but I would just say to you, if you are not actively working through a program of education with your children, you need to recognize that other people are. Okay? And and this isn't an anti-public school rant. I'm talking about culture in general. I'm talking about their own hearts. I'm talking about the world that they exist in. I'm talking about every commercial they see, every movie they watch, every relative they interact with. Every time they notice how you and your wife talk to each other, they are being educated. They are being trained. They are learning how this world works. And if you're not actively seeking to instruct them in the ways of God, you need to know they're being instructed in the ways of the world. That is happening. That's part of why we have such a call to teach. So number two is instruction. Number three is example. I think uh, the best picture of this is found in Proverbs 31, where we see that that long uh, dedication, that that poem about the, the mother and wife who is active in the home. She opens her mouth with wisdom. The teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household. And then it says in verse 29, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her kids are able to look upon her life and see that is the blessed life. This abstract concept of a circle of safety is all of a sudden enfleshed in the ways of their mother. They look upon her life and they see an example worthy of imitation. And certainly that can be the mother, that can be the father. But I think the question we want to ask ourselves is, if my child grows up and imitates me, will that be good for her or bad? Would I want a child that turns out just like me? Would I want a child who 
interacts with other people the way I do? Would I want a child who grows up to be the kind of adult I am right now? And again, whether we like it or not, we need to acknowledge their kids are taking note every day. They're learning from our example, good, bad, or ugly. So discipline, instruction, example. Fourth biblical duty of parents is uh, what I'll, I'll just call limitations. Limitations, I, I think this encompass, is encompassed in some of the others, but I call it out because I think in our day, this is uniquely a challenge. Uh, we can think about Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's, of course, a proverb, not a particular promise. But the idea is that we are guiding our children. We're like guardrails that show them the way of life. And sometimes that involves limiting their access to certain things. Right? We live in a world where they can access things via Internet and social media and their cell phones and movies and all the different media that's out there. They, they can access whatever they want. They can get themselves in front of whatever they want to see. In many cases, they're better at that than we are in terms of figuring out the access. And yet part of the parental role is, is to operate with a sense of guardrails where we are limiting things that would, they're not yet ready for. You've got to figure out what that looks like at every stage of life. That's constantly changing. Uh, my wife and I talk about it in, in language of the funnel. I don't remember where we got this one. Everything I say about parenting, we read somewhere. We learned from two or three families in our church in college. I can't remember the source on this one. Uh, but we talk about it as a funnel. We, we, we are slowly, we are intentionally and slowly um, allowing our children to experience more and more of the world. Sometimes we realize we need to tighten the funnel a little bit. You know, sometimes they experience something and we just go, they just weren't ready for that. They're just not ready for that kind, of, that kind of freedom. So we've got to tighten the funnel a little bit. It's a constant thing. Again, each child, each life stage. But it's part of your role as parents is, is to figure out what those limitations are. Fifth and final, and the one that ties it all together, parents are called to love their children. Now, I don't know that the Bible actually commands parents to love their children in, in those exact terms. The Bible actually assumes that parents will love their children. It's embedded in every single command that parents are given. We can think about it in the parables of Jesus where he says things like, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, would you give him a serpent? That's built on the assumption that parents love their children or are going to do good by them. But it reminds us that we ought to all aim at loving our children and enjoying them enjoying them. Uh, I, I've come to appreciate when I'm in the grocery store uh, last, like I was last night with all three of my kids, and things are a little chaotic. I'm wondering about the messes we've left behind. There's always the mystery of what Addie has put in the cart along the way. <laughs> How much is this going to cost me? What kind of things am I going to have to explain up there? Uh, and then some sweet person will come up to me. Uh, last night, it was an, an elderly lady, and she said, you're doing well. <laughs> and, and often it's coupled with something like, enjoy these years. Enjoy these moments. And I've got to be honest, there are moments when I'm like, do you miss it? Do you miss it? Here, you can have all three of them right now. I'm good. Let's just swap. I'll go home and garden. You take these three. There are moments where that's what I'm feeling. 
But there, there are better moments when I just nod my head and go, you know what? This is a treasured time. It's short. We need to enjoy it to the best of our ability. There are hard moments, uh, but there are good moments. And gosh, what a blessing to get to be a parent. What a blessing to have these kids. So enjoy your kids and love them. Even as you put limitations on their life, even as you strive to be an example for them, even as you daily instruct them and discipline them, do all of that flowing out of a heart of love. And then the last thing I want to say, just to kind of wrap this up, is I just want to remind us all, parents and children alike, that who we become is ultimately the result of God's grace in our life. As parents, you are tasked with doing something that you yourself cannot do. Train up your children in the ways of the Lord. You can't do that in your own strength. You can't do that in your own wisdom. All the books in the world will not guide you down that path. And all the prayers in the world by themselves will not produce the fruit of righteousness in your kids' lives. What you need is the work of God on your heart, guiding your actions, and then on their heart, guiding their actions. I, I think about this often. Shana uh, has spent a lot of time with college students, and, and you know, we've had this experience over and over uh, where sometimes we're, we're just hanging out with a college student, and you know we'll talk about it afterward. Or there have been several kids we've even asked. We just kind of look at them and we just think, how did you get to be who you are? <laughs> Can, can we just interview your parents and can they just tell us everything they did and all the tricks and all the tips? Because we just want to do exactly what they did to produce kids that are exactly like you someday. And I understand why our hearts go in that way. We're looking for a path of ease. Like, just give me a checklist. I just check all the boxes. That's not really how it works. God often reminds me of that. Uh, sometimes... We'll have a college kid in our, our living room, and we'll be talking to him. We'll be getting to know him. And I think, gosh, what kind of home did they come from? I mean, they must have just had a, a dad that just knocked it out of the park every day, was just leading them in family worship, and such a godly example. And then I'll, I'll start talking to him, and I'll say, well, tell me about your family. And they'll say, well, you know, my parents got divorced. My, my dad kind of left. My mom had to work a lot, and, you know, just kind of been on my own. And I think, how? How did you get to be who you are? Well, it's actually the, the same reason that the other kid is who they are. Because God was gracious in their lives. Because the Spirit of God has been poured out on them. Because He has empowered them. And it's just a reminder to me that as we look at these commands, we need to aim as parents at obedience. Because God calls us to obedience. But we need to trust the fruit to Him. We can't produce what we want to see in the lives of our children. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. And only His grace is sufficient to guide us each day as we seek to live out a Christ-centered home. So I want to close us in prayer, and then we're going to take communion. And uh, we do this every week here. It's in the back of the room uh, after I pray. Uh, we'll uh, start some music and you're welcome to, to go back and take communion uh, and just say a couple things about that. Com communion is an opportunity to remember that the death of Jesus, he is the means by which we have 
access to the grace that guides us as parents and as children. And so uh, we go to the communion table as a celebration of what Jesus has done on our behalf. And part of what that means is that we only go to the communion table if we, in fact, hope in and trust in Him. Uh, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're free to go and take communion in a moment. We would invite you to that, to enjoy that, to remember His sacrifice, and, and to look ahead to the day when He will come back and we will, we will spend forever in the most Christ-centered of all homes as we spend eternity with Jesus. But if you're not a believer, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian this morning, let me just be honest in saying that, that the communion table is not for you. Uh, this is a family meal. It's for those who trust in Jesus. We're celebrating what He has done. It, it wouldn't be appropriate for you to, to go back there. You don't need to feel awkward about that. You can just sit where you're at and just sit tight. But I would invite you in this time to really think about the things we've talked about here and invite you to reflect on that. And I invite you to pray and, and know that you too can know the Lord. Uh, none of us that call ourselves Christians are Christians because we grew up in a perfect home. And none of us who have believing children have believing children because we've been perfect parents. So you don't, neither of those things are a prerequisite to come to the Lord. You can cry out to Him even now, confess your sin, cry out to Him in faith and, and ask Him to forgive you and welcome you uh, into His love. And He will do that even in these moments. Uh, if you'd like to talk to somebody more about that, I'll be in the back of the room and I'd love to discuss it with you more. But let me pray for us and then we'll take communion and we will wrap up. Lord, thank you for your love as a heavenly Father. Thank you for the image you set forward in your scriptures, in, in your ways throughout history, in your ways in this world, in your ways in our own lives that, that calls us to godly parenting. It calls us to godly obedience. It calls us to want to honor those whom you have set in authority over us. I pray, Lord, that you would, would help us as parents to be godly parents, to be God-honoring parents, and help us to have Christ-centered homes. I pray for our children, that you would train them up in your ways and that you would bless them with hearts of faith. May the seeds of your word that we are, we are sowing in them daily, may, may they bear fruit and, and repentance and faith and salvation and a life of blessing. Lord, thank you for your mercy for all the times as parents and children when we fail. Thank you that, that you do not give up on us, that you discipline us in your kindness and you call us back to yourself. Thank you that you give us grace each and every day. And we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.